0: My dear friends in Christ, on this glorious day, cold as it is, as we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who grabs hold of us through his Holy Spirit by the word of hope and promise spoken to us this day, spoken without reservation to frightened and troubled souls. Amen. Oh, the mountaintop, that place where we go to get away from it all. Up to the mountaintop, perhaps for a ski weekend, right? To slush on down the slopes and enjoy a little bit of relaxation and fun. Maybe it's the place where we go for a hike outside of the smog of the valley, Climbing up as far as we can go to get a look over the mountains, over the vista, to see all the goodness that God has given. To get a new perspective, perhaps. To see beyond ourselves. To take a little break and maybe find a place where we can conquer, right? Conquer the mountain before us. It's that metaphorical place also for us to go, to get just a little higher up, right? Just a few feet closer to God. Maybe even, we think, to climb our way into heaven. Yes, the mountaintop, physical and metaphorical, we speak of it as the way to get out of the doldrums of life, out of the work and the toil, up to a high place where we can find something a little bit better in life. That is, of course, until we realize that there on the mountaintop, trouble follows us as well. You can ski and ski and find some fun until all of a sudden there's an avalanche and somebody is getting buried and the danger is there. Or you're sitting there on top of your perch looking out across the valley and you hear the wind or some footsteps doesn't matter how big the animal is. It might be a mountain lion. It might be a squirrel. But there you are, frightened by what you don't know. The trouble doesn't just seem to escape the closer we get up the mountain. But here for the disciples, it is quite a bit different than where they've been, isn't it? There on the mountaintop, invited by Jesus to take a walk, For they've been surrounded by the troubles of the world as they follow Jesus around the towns. They've seen people in need, both physically and spiritually. They've encountered hunger and illness and demons. And here they go up the mountain to find some rest. But of course, it's even more than that, because right before this passage in chapter 9, at the end of chapter 8, we find Jesus telling his disciples something they clearly did not want to hear, that he was walking into the troubles of the world, not avoiding them. He said, I am the Christ, and you know what that means, of course. That means I'm going to suffer and be rejected and die. And Peter, speaking for the disciples, said, no, no, that's not what we signed up for. No, that's not the way it's going to go. Yes, we know that's what you're saying, but we're saying something else. And we get a vote in this too, don't we? And Jesus turns right to him and says, get behind me, Satan. You are not listening to the things of God. You are setting your mind on human things, earthly things, blinded, blinded, and not listening to what God is saying in the world. And so he takes them up the mountain, and there before their eyes, he is transfigured. His form changes. They get, they get a glimpse of what they think is the most glorious image of God they could have. Jesus is transfigured, gleaming, glowing, bright, brighter than anything they could imagine. But it's in that that they become afraid. They become afraid seeing the image of God right before them. Of course, the image of God, the vision of God has scared people forever. They know that to see God face to face is to die, is to be overcome by his glory. And so they are frightened in the transfiguration, not comforted. This is your warning that today is Valentine's Day. And if you haven't got your sweetie that special something, there will be a transformation uh, by the end of the day. All that loving goodness will turn on you, I guarantee it. So uh, take care and take care of yourself in that. But that's exactly what happens. They go up the mountain looking for an escape, but what do they find but the fearsomeness of God right before them. <clears throat> One of my favorite cartoons is Calvin and Hobbes. There's some wonderful, uh, deep, interesting cartoons that, uh, that have been written with this young boy and his stuffed tiger, his best friend that comes to life throughout this cartoon. And the one I picked out for today is a, a four-parter. It's got four images. And they start on a grassy hill, relaxing together, lying down, enjoying the shade of a tree on a, what seems like a quiet, easy summer's day. And you get the sense that time passes a little while as they lie there, and then Hobbes asks Calvin a very deep question, something that would come up as you're sitting there, pondering life, looking out over creation. He says, do you think there's a God? And they sit there thinking and pondering that through the next frame until Calvin gets a quizzical look on his face and he kind of looks off to the side and he says, well, somebody's out to get me. It's a bit how we feel about God, right? It's not so much does God exist, but that we find the troubles of the world and we start to wonder, who's out to get us? Have I done something wrong so that God is coming to stalk me and look for me? Because everywhere I seem to turn, there is trouble in life. Somebody's out to get me. And if it's not God, it's somebody else. And something out there seems to be around every corner, even in those places where I start to look for a bit of rest and comfort. Peter, speaking for James and John, in his stupor, in his terrifiedness, says, it is good that we are here. Why don't we just stay We'll build three dwellings, one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And we can just stay here in the glory as much as it might terrify us. It's better than going back down the mountain and into the troubles of the world because Peter knows what's there. It's Jerusalem. It's the cross. It's suffering and rejection and death. He doesn't want it, and he'll do anything to stay away from that. So let's just stay here. We can keep you, Jesus, here with Moses and Elijah. We can retreat rather than go forward. We can retreat back to Moses and the law, back to Elijah and the prophets. The retreat to Moses and Elijah, to the law and the prophets is typical. When you think that God is out to get you, When you have done something wrong, you start turning back around and saying, where did I find the wrong path? If I can just retrace my steps and find the right one, maybe I can make my way further up the mountain and find that place of rest and comfort that we long for. And so what Peter is looking for is a way back into Moses, back into Elijah, back into the past rather than going forward into Jerusalem and the new life that Jesus is bringing to the world. He thinks somehow that if he can combine Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, then he'll find that right combination, and God maybe will stop stalking him. God will stop coming after him. In the movie movie Chariots of Fire from the early 80s, you remember this. It's one of the most famous movies. Still, children who probably haven't seen this know of the theme song because it's famous for people running in slow motion. But it's a story of friendship and trial sticking together through thick and thin fighting and competing and pushing each other to do their very best and finally triumph, right? Triumph over all the oppressions of the world. Triumph of religious freedom, the triumph of friendship, the triumph of the human spirit over all the things that are together. And this movie gets its name right here from 2 Kings chapter 2 that we read today, with Elijah and Elisha running together where Elisha continues to say, even in the face of God's promise that Elijah is going to be taken from him, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. I don't want it. I don't like it. I'm sticking with you. And as we hear this story, what do we find? But we find that we are uplifted by his loyalty. We are uplifted in our spirit by his triumph over whatever is to come until we come right to the point of God taking Elijah away from him it wasn't up to Elisha he knew God's word but he didn't want it and so he kept fighting through it just like the disciples hearing that Jesus is going to Jerusalem he's going to suffer be rejected and die and they keep saying no 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 God has said it it is going to happen but we resist it and we fight it it doesn't have to be this way does it But Jesus says, yes, it does. Jesus is going to the cross. And as much as the disciples think that there on the mountain, the transfiguration is God's great glory, instead what Jesus is telling them, what the word is given, is that it will be the cross that shows his glory, not the transfiguration. They get a glimpse of the true Christ there on the mountain, But we all get to see the true God crucified. That's where Christ wants to be known fully. That is his glory finally in the world. That he's been rejected and killed for telling you that you are chosen and beloved. That you are forgiven and granted the kingdom of God. He is out to get you, of course, but not because he's stalking you so that you find a better path, but so that he can get you caught in your sin in order to forgive you and give you new life. Listen now as we enter into Lent. Over the next few weeks, watch as he catches you, stalks you, and shows you your sin, not so that he can come down on you and retaliate against you, so that he can say, You're just who I knew you were, and I love you and forgive you, and I give you my life. Amen.